Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thank you for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Gilem, CEO and co-founder of Alistair, a tethered drone manufacturer that's raised over 8 million euros in funding. Gilem, thanks for chatting with me today. Hey, Brett. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. So before we begin talking about what you're building there, could we just start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background? Yes, of course. I'm 34. I'm French. I have an engineering and business background. I'm married, father of three young kids, and i uh, Love traveling, backcountry skiing, and uh, tennis and uh, border climbing. Nice. That's amazing. And uh, shout out to you for making it work as a CEO of a startup and being a father of three kids. That, uh, that can't be easy to manage that. Uh, no, no, it's not. Uh, when I started, I hadn't any kids. It's a different challenge. It's a very great uh, thing that happens to me. Nice. That's incredible. Now, a couple of questions that we like to ask just better understand what makes you tick as a founder. First one is, what CEO do you admire the most and what do you admire about that? Um, I don't have specific founders uh, in mind. I enjoy reading books about uh, entrepreneurship stories. And if I had to pick one, I recently read the, the story of Ivan, Ivan Schwina from Patagonia. It was a great read. He's a great uh, entrepreneur and very good at branding and building a culture. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed uh, what he's done. And recently uh, he, he sold it. So he, he gave all these shares to, um, for his uh, cause, like uh, for environmental foundation. Yeah, yeah. So great, great read. I would recommend it. Nice. Is that available in French or is that just in, Amy, in English? I found it in the French. I'm a bit lazy. Sometimes uh, I have to read in English because it's uh, the book. I can't find them in French, but this one I could go. Oh. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Now let's jump into the origin story. So I know that the company launched, uh, I think I found online in 2014. So can you take us back to 2014? What was going on in those early days? So I did an internship at the end of my studies in a drone company uh, called Studio Fly, a French company. And my job was to be a business developer. So I was looking to extend the, the services this company was providing. And we were struggling with the batteries. Because with drones, batteries usually, you know, you to fly for 30 minutes to 50 minutes-ish. And it's great for some uh, short missions, like inspections, but it's very limiting, in fact, uh, for longer applications. And one day we had a mission where we had to put a, a leash on the drone for legal reason to be able to fly in Paris. And that's kind of the way the ID came to build tether drones to solve the, the limitation on battery, but also to solve communications and legal permissions. And what do the legal permissions look like today in, in France and just globally, how have you seen them evolve? France was quite early on this uh, drone space and on the regulations uh, because in 2012, there was a first uh, a draft. Currently, it's being there is a European rules that are being worked on that will be applied in the next two years, I believe, let's say. It's, the context doesn't evolve much uh, in terms of uh, risk and uh, limits to fly drones 
Uh, usually, it's uh, the categories. It's the same in North America. The categories are defined by uh, weight and globally the risk that uh, people are enduring and uh, at the other aircraft might endure because of drones. But it's uh, no. I, I mean, it, it's good. It allows enough space to develop companies using drones, and uh, it hasn't been our field at least a limiting factor. And in my mind, one of the benefits of drones is the fact that they can move around and, and cover you know, large distances. So is there a downside there of this having to be tethered in? I understand there's major benefits, it sounds like, from a battery perspective and communication perspective. But do you lose some of those benefits of the drone capabilities because it's tethered? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's not designed for every application, of course. The idea is that I say the, the maturity of the drone market is now at a stage where for each application, it will have a specific aircraft with different capabilities. So we are going away from the time where everyone thought that one drone would solve everything. So it's a very interesting space, at least on the B2B side, to be in. And for us, uh, tender drones, yes, we are, I'd say, it's very hard to beat a tether drone for border surveillance, for instance, or forward operating base surveillance, or for tactical comms, or for large event surveillance. But for other missions like reconnaissance or inspections, we are not at all on that field. And it's good for us also on the building of the business. It means that we can focus on very precise uh, personals. Hours are in the military and in police, uh, public safety and be very sharp on how we build the product. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think that's probably what happened with a lot of emerging technology, right? Where it starts off you know, very, very broad and people try to use it for everything. And then as the market develops and matures, the more niche solutions and purpose-built solutions begin to develop and, and gain traction. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. You are. Now, looking on your website, I, I see the applications broken out. So we have defense, public safety, private security. One thing I want to ask about defense, because in the United States, this is a very active topic in the startup world that you may be aware of, where for maybe the last 10, 15 years, it became basically unacceptable or not allowed for Silicon Valley tech companies to support defense. The workers at these companies would say, hey, we didn't you know, join this company to build missiles, blah, 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 all of these things. It's changing right now a lot. More and more companies are popping up to say, hey, we have a duty in this country to you know, support the government and support defense and help, mm -hmm. help modernize them. Is there a similar conversation happening in France or has France generally been more open to the idea of technology companies working with the defense sector? Yeah, I think it's very similar. It's maybe not as transparent as you said it, but the same. We have two struggles, let's say, uh, during our journey of uh, looking for fundings. Uh, it's that we have, we are a hardware company building uh, a hardware product and we are in defense. So it's uh, two things that didn't help us. But I think with the, the growth, with uh, the strategy, the business plan and the results we got step by step, it took time, maybe more time than we originally uh, wanted to. But the markets maturing on the drone side also and in public safety took time also. So in the end, I think we, we had the right timing 
But it's, yeah, yeah. Every, I think we were lucky also because every deal we struck on the funding side, it was difficult. Yeah. It took time. Yeah. I can imagine. And I'm guessing you're not the first founder to say, oh man, you know, that took a little bit longer than expected and cost more than expected. That just seems to be what happens in entrepreneurship in general, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Patience is a good uh, value that uh, you are forced to develop. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, from those different applications, are there any that you're you know, really seeing gain a lot of traction and, and you're personally very excited about? Uh, I'd say on the public safety side, we've been engaging more and more with police forces on uh, protecting big events. And it's, uh, it's very exciting because we have systems, you know, on the Super Bowl, for instance, uh, in Atlanta and uh, this year or so, uh, we have been uh, engaged also in the Football World Cup in Qatar uh, on the Ryder Cup. So it's always uh, very exciting moments, uh, great exposure also. And it's all about our mission, which is to, to protect those who protect us. So the military and the police. So at least those moments are great. At the beginning of the company, it was a challenge because we were prototyping, of course. It took time, but now we have over 1,000 systems deployed. We've built a great, great production, quality management, and so on. Uh, so it's uh, a good moment. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. And could you tell us more about what the drone is doing when it's up there? So let's say at the Super Bowl, can you share like at the Super Bowl or you know, events like that, how many drones are we talking about? I guess that's my first question is, you know, are there four drones, one in every corner, or are there 40 drones, you know, circling the entire event? No, it's uh, usually a few units uh, between one and five. For the Super Bowl, there were two. One was with the police and the other one was with uh, CNN. So there was two applications, one for uh, protection around the stadium, and the other one was for broadcasting, media broadcasting. Yeah, yeah that's usually the kind of uh, volume we are in. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. And on the security side, then, what is the drone monitoring? Is it you know, doing a heat map? Is it doing some type of image scanning of you know, every person's body to see if they have a weapon on them? What exactly is it screening for and doing up there in the sky? It's usually depending on the context and the, mm-hmm. the events and what the police is looking for. So if it's, for instance, a game. Recently, there was uh, in Montana, they used our tele drones for the Bear Stadium. And uh, they were looking on the mountains around to see there were uh, people lost at night. Uh, they were also checking money transfers between, you know, uh, sales points of, uh, you know, beverages and food. They were also looking into uh, restricted areas to see if no, no one was over, over trespassing. And so usually there are four, five to six, you know, points of interest uh, that are checking. And yeah, it's multi-use around security. Got it. So is it typically more about providing visibility to the person operating it? It's not as much of uh, scanning each individual and trying to figure out if they're a potential risk. Do I understand that correctly? Yeah, yeah. It's usually, so having an IL view uh, offers you uh, great uh, data because you have a very good view of what is happening. 
at a few kilometers around the system. And all the goal is to make faster and better decisions uh, when time is sensitive. And so it's the same for police work is, isn't a thing, but also for, you know, public safety firefighters uh, mm -hmm. on a forest fire, for instance, they will locate faster the, the point of the fire and be able to geolocate on the, the software where it's happening and quickly tell the team how they can fight better. But it's usually a global view. And when you see something specific happening, you can zoom in. So we, we have uh, the opportunity on the drones, as we have unlimited power, we have the opportunity to put uh, a bigger camera capacity. So they can usually detect up to at 10 kilometers a vehicle moving. So it's a great way to limit, you know, the impact of not having mobility. Uh, we usually try to fly, you know, the highest possible with uh, bigger cameras. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I have to say, every time I go to a, a large event, there's always a point in time where I look around and just think, wow, this is a little bit making me uneasy. I could see how there could be a terrorist attack here. Maybe that's just because I live in the United States. And yeah, that's something that we all have to think about is, you know, there going to be a terrorist attack. Is there going to be a shooting or a stabbing? You know, that's kind of become like life for, I think, a lot of us here. And I know other countries have you know, similar problems. So that makes me feel a little bit relieved to know that there's devices like this that are flying around the events or at least in the sky in the events and, and keeping a watch over things. So that's comforting. I'm going to feel better next time I attend an event because of you. In France, we have history also on attacks on, uh, on uh, big events. And uh, next year, there's the uh, Olympics coming mm -hmm. uh, in France. So it's a big topic. And uh, tether drones are, uh, let's say, a small part of the, the whole uh, system, of course. But uh, it's always finding the way to make uh, you know, hardware and uh, data sensors collaborate well through the right network so that we can uh, collaborate well and, and solve uh, this kind of crisis faster. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I can see how it's, you know, part of the tech stack. I feel like there's never going to be one thing that resolves the problem that, you know, requires a lot of different tools all combined together, along with great people, I'm guessing, to, of course, you know, make sure things are secure. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you know, seeing on the website, I see the Guns N' Roses concert. I see you know, the Montana University Police, like you mentioned. These are very uh, American-sounding things. Guns N' Roses, you know, Montana. So... Being a company in France, has it been difficult for you to break into the U.S. market? Or have you generally seen that they're you know, so impressed and excited about the technology that they don't really care that you're, you're from France and you're not from you know, Silicon Valley or maybe you know, D.C., where more of the uh, government contractors are? Yeah, actually, it's been very organic. From the start, we chose when starting the company you no, know, it's kind of a long tail problem for us, challenge, and because we are on a niche technology. So we had to export the system. We have a few targets per country, very precise. So we builded all the, you know, the marketing, the go-to-market strategy through, uh, through the web, through internet. Even if at first it sounded a bit counterintuitive, especially in the defense sector, but it, actually it worked well. And let's say Europe and North America drove, drove the company and the growth. And with, with the pool from North America, we, we built a team two years ago. So now we have a team of uh, five people based in uh, North Carolina. And now we are very uh, happy and very proud to serve this market. And uh, our intent is to strengthen the team and the support, technical support there. 
because we see there is a lot of uh, challenges, especially on the, the police side and public safety to solve. So we are, we are yeah, striving for it. Nice. Makes a lot of sense. And are there any other numbers you can share with us that just demonstrate the growth that you're seeing? Last year, we had a 50% growth for the company. It was a, yeah, yeah, a good, uh, a strong year. We are aiming for, for the same this year. I talked about, yeah, 1,000 systems deployed. Company is eight years old. We are around 60 people now. Yeah, but no, the, the pool is great. Uh, we have a, a lot of new products coming this year. Last year was a year of uh, development and we we kept the, the same uh, range of products. And this year we have three or four new releases. So we are very excited to see what's coming. Nice. That's amazing. Now, what's the competitive landscape look like today? Are you seeing more and more competitors enter in or what's that competitive landscape like today? And, and how has that evolved since 2014? I'd say currently we are three or four companies at a similar level between, you know, 40 and 60 people, two in Europe and two in the US. Every company has a different focus, I'd say. And our specificity that we released the first tethering station on the market and customers were, most of them were, you know, entrepreneurs that believed in the, in the solution, but were, weren't really knowing what customers to target, what it was uh, and what it would be used for. So it was very early. And now we are at a different stage. Our customers, they know what a tether drone is and they know how to use it and what for. It's more a question of scaling programs and convincing hierarchy and using it in real life situation to scale. So it's a very, very interesting time. Yeah, I can imagine. And I'm sure you've encountered a couple of challenges along the way. If we had to choose one go-to-market challenge that you faced and overcame, what would that challenge be and how do you overcome it? Uh, we had a, a lot of uh, challenge, but I, I would say we spoke about hardware and I would say it made it a challenge to find, you know, the first uh, product market fit, let's say to find the first customer and to build uh, a prototype we could sell to them. Uh, I'd say and that was a pivotal moment for the company. Because at first we tried a lot of things and the pricing weren't right, uh, the targets weren't right, and so on and so on. So it took, it took, I don't know, eight, eight, nine months. And we finally made the first sale to Thales uh, in France. And after that, I'd say it was uh, the real starting point because we could raise funds and we began our iterations, you know, getting feedbacks, improving the products and so on and so on and so on. The challenge is always in the hardware space to reduce the cycles of developments. It's a lot easier with the software, but uh, with, you know, the, we worked in a fab lab at first and then we find our ways to get uh, shorter and shorter cycles of developments. Nice. That's amazing. Okay. Last question here for you. Let's zoom out three to five years into the future. What's the company look like? That's a great topic. And I, I wish I knew. Usually, yeah, yeah, we, we are caught in the, um, in the day-to-day -day operation. Let's say our main goal is to build the leading tethered drone manufacturer in the world, but also a European drone champion. Uh, so it's very exciting and challenging. And in terms of technology, uh, you know, drones evolve very fast. So um, our goal is to foster uh, adoption by making uh, you know, tethered drone technology fully autonomous. And we still have work to do to do that. Enhance it with uh, AI 
to help, you know, the operator focus on the mission, not on the system, and to build the right apps for the right missions. And we also are working on, uh, you know, making it ready for 24-24 remote surveillance operations. So currently, the, our solutions are built for, you know, events, for operation from one day to one week. And what we want to do is uh, developing fully autonomous teledrone boxes that can be remotely deployed on you know, sites, borders, and controlled through a kind of a cloud system, which will really widen the market and the, the value can bring, mostly in the private security sector. Wow, that's super exciting. Now, unfortunately, we are up on time, so we're going to have to wrap here. I would love to keep you on and ask you another 50 questions, but we'll have to save that for part two. So before we wrap, if people want to follow along with your journey as you continue to build, where's the best place for them to go? Well, we are quite active on LinkedIn, so you can follow the company on LinkedIn and also the, the website, the blog is a good way of getting the latest news. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to tell your story and really share the vision and, and everything that you're building there. It's always exciting talking with companies that are really using technology to solve important problems in the world. So really appreciate your time and wish you the best of luck in executing on this vision. Thank you for uh, inviting me and uh, it was a great moment. I will look ahead and uh, thank you, Brett. Thank you. Keep in touch. Take care.